All right, hello everyone, and this is Diane and Langdon. This is a podcast in which we analyze various media, beginning today with Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 anime adaptation. So, a little bit about us before we get into it. We both studied theater um, and creative writing extensively, so mm-hmm. this should be fun. Yeah, um, and we always find ourselves watching TV or watching movies, and mm-hmm. uh, we typically have a lot to say about them, so we figured we would share some of those thoughts with you guys. Uh, mostly, we want to look at things uh, pretty much with a blank slate, really let them fully express themselves to us without any of our prejudice or pre-opinion on them. Right, what he is saying is that we're coming into Full Metal Alchemist, the O3 anime, Having had a lot of experience with the manga, um, and we are going to really try to not let that influence what we're going to be talking about today. We're just we're just gonna have just gonna have fun with with it and just take it as what it is as its own entity. So a little bit about me. Um, I am a writer and archaeologist in Washington D.C. And I run a blog on archaeology where I also post some of my writing. Now, my connection to Full Metal Alchemist is also wholly my connection to anime and manga. So I watched O3 as a kid, but it was out of order and I never saw every episode. So my my memory of it is very fuzzy at best. And then when I was old enough to actually start working, my first job was translating the manga through its completion. So the manga is very near and dear to my heart. 17 years later, I still love it. Um, I am mildly involved with the fandom, by which I mean I'm not involved with the fandom. But I am currently writing a fan fiction for Full Metal Alchemist called The Amestrian Candidate. It is a continuation of the manga, has nothing to do with the O3 anime adaptation. It's very fun. Um, Thank you. Uh, how many episodes have you seen? Do, like, what percentage overall? Oh, gosh. It would be more than 50, but less than 70. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, uh, Percent. A little bit about me. Yes. Uh, my name is Langdon. Uh, I'm a comedian in Washington, D.C. Um, and I was I was aware of Full Metal Alchemist forever uh, since it like started coming out because I had friends who watched it. Uh, but I did not have access to it. Um, and later in my life, Diane introduced me to the manga, uh, which is very, very good. I watched Brotherhood and I tried to watch O3 and I got like an episode or two into it. And I was like, I just watched Brotherhood, so I didn't finish it. Um, but I'm kind of excited to finish it now, especially because I know that it's very, very different from the typical Full Metal Alchemist tale. Uh, and I believe it's very, very bad. Uh, some people believe so some people love it a lot so what we're going to do is is look at that and deliver our own media criticisms of it uh so just background before we kind of get into what happens in the first episode uh full metal alchemist it's a very very popular and successful uh manga series that ran in the 2000s like 2001 to 2010 um And it centers around a system of hard magic called alchemy. Uh, And one of the really, really great things about it is that it's a very uh, rule, very well-ruled system, I guess. It's it's not magic, it's science. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are rules in that, like, uh, you have to follow equivalent exchange. Yes. So you can't get more than what you start with. Right. They make a big point of emphasizing equivalent exchange and that it is not magic. It is a science to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the other rules is that you cannot do human transmutation, which theoretically would be a way that you could bring somebody back to life using alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just, it, it is impossible with the laws of alchemy, but it's also illegal in mm-hmm. this universe. Um, yeah. And there are other legality laws surrounding it. Like, don't make gold because then you'll tank the economy. Right. You can, you're able to do it, uh, but not but allowed to do it. they'll arrest you for it. Um. It follows two brothers, Edward and Alphonse Elric. Um, Alphonse, we learn, is an empty suit of armor. Uh, and Edward has a metal leg and a metal arm. And kind of the one word, one sentence summary of the show is that they are on a quest to get their original bodies back. Yes. Um, 
There are other characters who are part of the military of this fictional country, Amestris. Uh, so we have a colonel named Roy Mustang, who is an alchemist, the flame alchemist, uh, which means that he works for the government uh, doing alchemy, right? Is right. that Yeah. Um, he also has a first lieutenant and an adjutant named Riza Hawkeye. Uh, and they are often shipped together because of their very tense relationship. But because tense. he... <laughs> well, how would you describe it? Uh, it's, a, it's an easy relationship. It's, it's, so the ship is basically based on the idea that they are... They have been working together for an extremely long time and in the manga they have known each other since childhood and are now in their late 20s and so they've they've been together for a very long time um and there's a lot of hints that they might be romantically interested in one another it is never confirmed and even when it is brought up the mangaka Hiroma Arakawa has dodged the question by stating that because of their working relationship that would be illegal. They can't be together. But they definitely are in love with each other pretty bad. Some think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and that character, Riza Hawkeye, she's also a sniper, which is important. Oops. Mm-hmm. Um, Winry Rockbell is a childhood friend of the Elric brothers, and she is an automail mechanic. Uh, so kind of uh, the way prosthetics in this universe work is you can get like a, a metal arm, kind of a steampunk, diesel punk looking uh, prosthetic that's fully operable. It's just kind of like nailed into your skin. Um, it's really cool. Kind of the first type of villain that we see is are the homunculi, which are created persons made through alchemy. Um, we meet these characters. There's seven of them and they're named after the seven deadly sins. The story takes place in Amestris, which is a fictional country. Um, it's it's steampunk, diesel punky. Mm-hmm. Not it's not super heavy on those. Uh, they're just kind of a an, an aesthetic tone. Yeah. Rather than a, a strict by the numbers steampunk. If, if anything, I would call it more anachronistic than than steampunk. Um, and they they live in a very hyper industrial society. That's kind of a a a more anachronistic version of our 1910s um to mm-hmm. 1920s through the yeah. 40s the in in their universe it is 1914 when the story technically opens and it is a a stratocratic government yes that... stratocratic yes so it is the the military is also the government yes uh, they have total control over things um and what we learned pretty quickly that there's a, a great deal of corruption in the military um, I assume that will still happen this time around. It definitely happens in the manga. Gosh, I hope so. It's a simple theme. <laughs> uh, importantly, as far as tone goes, Full Metal Aquas is it's very funny. Mm-hmm. It's hard to overlook that. It's 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 very very entertaining, even when it does get like dark and serious. Because um, there's like genocide, there's uh, political corruption, there's a, a lot of violence, and like not like violence between characters like wars going on like and state violence and yes people are bad yes and that is that is a driving theme is that people make very bad choices and use knowledge and technology to hurt other people and, and alchemy yes and alchemy to, to hurt other people and to get themselves ahead um then another big theme of it is is family um and yeah. brotherhood I mean, they, they named the second anime adaptation Brotherhood. So, very important. Um, but yes, so Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 anime adaptation, is a 51 episode, as we said, anime adaptation. Um, and it was created back when it was very clear that the anime would surpass the manga. So, the anime writers sort of took the extant characters, world premise, magic systems... And did their own thing with them. This was by request by Hiroma Arakawa, the mangaka of Fullmetal Alchemist. She requested a different ending. Um, and this is totally fine to do. We're not coming at them for having a different ending. It is fine as long as you do a good job with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was co-produced by Animation Studios Bones, Mainichi Broadcasting System, and Aniplex. 
And there is a sequel conclusion movie, which I have never seen, called The Conqueror of Shambhala. Um, and so back to Arakawa, though, she was extremely involved, actually, with the beginning, with the pre-production phase of the anime. She worked on basics and pre-production. She never wrote for it, but she was present to advise staff about world and character relationships, what she was doing with the story, what she planned to do with the story so they could fill in gaps in their story arc. Mm -hmm. And then it was, in her own words, out of her hands. She's, yeah, she was there largely as like a resource for them to be like, how would this work in this world? Like, what's yeah, what's yeah, public yeah. transportation like? What are, what's the relationship between these two characters? How do they mm -hmm. do this here? Um, right. And she said that there were some creative differences as well. She she talks a little bit in one of the extras of the manga about working on the show and kind of butting heads, it seems, at times with some of the uh, producers. Um, but you saw the show already, or some of it at least. So what I'm, I want to know before we get into it, what you uh, remember about it and kind of what you're expecting. Um, I remember very, very little. And I'm not going to say too much about what I remember because it will give massive spoilers um, for the rest of the series. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll say a few things that I remember. Um, I remember... In the O3 anime, a homunculus, which we've talked about before, is an artificial person. Um, a homunculus occurs when a person performs human transmutation, and the person who is the subject of that transmutation, who they're attempting to bring back to life, actually respawns somewhere in a mistress with zero memories of their previous life. So... Well, while a homunculus is technically a newly created person, a in this, a homunculus is a person who has been resurrected just differently than one would expect. Um, I remember... <laughs> yeah, I remember um, a little bit about Roy Mustang, the flame alchemist colonel. Um, I remember that he collects buckets of blood... In his apartment? I still don't believe you, and I still feel like we're going to get to that, like, whatever scene you think it is, and it's going to be something totally different. Yeah, I'll or, be real embarrassed. Or I'm going to be wrong, and... <laughs> I, um, He gets an eye patch at some point, somehow, and then there's another part where he sails away in a hot air balloon like the Wizard of Oz. Um, There is also a multiverse... In which Adolf Hitler is involved. A Adolf Hitler, the the Führer of the Third Reich, specifically. That 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 Adolf Hitler. Right. Okay. In case you were confused. I, I that doesn't make me not oh. confused. Oh. Our world's Adolf Hitler. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> Great. How uh, are you feeling? Um, I just don't. I already I already knew that he was involved, but I still don't see how. I, I'm. I'm struggling to understand how they get from the source material to Adolf Hitler. Well, I mean, it's it's very clear that she drew a lot of influences from Nazi Germany. But in her own words, she also drew a lot of inspiration from other Western countries, including the United States, the UK. Um, she drew inspiration from Imperial Japan. So just to completely equate a mistress to Nazi Germany, I think really does a big disservice to her world building and also to her intention. All right. Uh, so the first episode, uh, those who challenge the sun. Uh, so this should be where we learn everything about these characters and get uh, really started moving on this story. Yes. And we get a cold open in it. And so in our cold open, we meet for the first time Edward and Alphonse as they are attempting to perform a human transmutation. And we don't know that. Well. They, they are, though. <laughs> they are. Um, we begin in a, a basically a podunk farm town called Risenbool. And they perform their transmutation. It is going well. The narration comes in and says that there are certain rules and limits to alchemy. And then this transmutation starts to go very, very poorly. Yeah, I actually, I actually really liked the way they did this because they were, they, 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 I think it's always like narrated over the scene. Um, but they, they kind of go into alchemy a little bit, like what it is. 
and they talk about what you can do with it. And then as soon as they're like, but there's some stuff you can't do with it. There's an immediate like kind of shift, even with the colors mm-hmm. uh, of the transmutation that they're doing. It, that makes it clear that th- what they're trying to do is one of those things you can't do with it. it or should, shouldn't do, yeah. at the very least. Um, but then in this, when we get back, we, we cut back to this moment where we see... After everything goes very terribly wrong, we get an image of Alphonse's clothes that he was formerly wearing, and they are empty on the ground. And then we get a cut to Edward, um, and we see that his leg has been ripped off from just above the knee. And he is screaming, as one should, when their leg has been ripped off just above the knee. And he's really young, too. He's they're, very young. They're like 10 and 11. They're Yes, they're children. And he's screaming, and as, he, as we get the shot of his leg... Um, he screams, they or he's been taken. This could also be translated, it's been taken. Um, and he is screaming for Alphonse. And then we get a shot into what was in the middle of the transmutation circle. A yeah, transmutation and- circle, by the way, is a physical formula for performing alchemy. And they are based in what our real world medieval alchemical symbols are. Um so there's there's actually a lot of beautiful research that went into this. But a transmutation circle is literally a circle drawn in chalk or in pencil or whatever material you have um, with those symbols that basically are the equation for performing the alchemy. And so we look into the middle of this transmutation circle and we see... Do you want to describe what we see? Uh, well, Yes, they they say before they kind of get into it that they're trying to bring their mom back or they're they're going to see their mom soon or something along those lines. Uh, so when you look into the circle, you see this. It's brunette. It's got mom's hair, I guess, uh, but it ain't mom. Um, yes, it's this it's, pulsating yeah, mass of organs and flesh. Yes, and it's, very it's gross. Grotesquery. It's, like, it's it's spider ish. It's upside down and it growls at Edward or something. Yeah, it's not it's it's not a pretty picture. And I actually hate this moment. Um because for me there's a lot of horror in the fact that Edward's leg has been ripped off yeah. and Alphonse is gone. And and I feel like this is a beat that really should have stood on its own with Edward screaming for Alphonse and about how Alphonse has been taken. And that's what we leave with because the entire relationship that should drive this plot is the relationship between Edward and Alphonse. But instead they undercut it with this body horror. They, they, they sell out this relationship that really is supposed to build up our characters and our expectations. And they, and they, they overshadow it with just, grotesque body horror as i said it's it's just let the beat stand on its own yeah after they like do the transportation and he sees the thing in the circle he just screams right uh and the scream is overheard by a couple of his neighbors we mm-hmm. see uh winry who lives with her grandmother um and they're kind of like what the heck was that and we also see roy mustang uh and a hat he, i guess He's wearing a hat. It's a very funny hat. Um, it's ridiculous. I don't know if I would call it a hat, but it blocks the water. And it's a coat with too many... Too much. Too much. It's just too much. It looks like it came off of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, honestly. If only, dude. <laughs> Um, it's, it's a ridiculous coat. But the thing is, the real thing that's annoying about this is that... Roy Mustang is the flame alchemist and is con- continually described as useless in the rain. And yet here he is standing in a rainstorm without an umbrella. He's only got a hat, which isn't exact. It's not a wide brimmed hat. It kind of looks like it's almost like stitched into his uniform. Like he's wearing like a hood. It's weird. It's not, it's but it's not very, a hood. It's not a hood. It's a hat. Yeah. So he he, he he also overhears Edward screaming. Um, and then uh, we kind of get out of there and we are taken to the next scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the present day. So the boys are now Alphonse is 14 and Edward's 15, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they are now in their classic look, uh, the look that you'll see them in if you Google search Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. 
Uh, so Edward has a blonde ponytail and a red cloak. And Alphonse is a big, beefy boy suit of armor. That's uh, right. And we saw that suit of armor in the basement at the very beginning. We did. So what's going on? Well, you're about to find out in two yeah. seconds. Um, Alphonse, uh, they're walking through the desert and they're they're exhausted. They're very thirsty. And Edward realizes that Alphonse has gone missing. And he calls for him. And we hear uh, Alphonse from under the sand say that he got stuck and he fell in and he's right. got to get pulled out. Already having questions. How did this young boy get trapped under the sand and still retain the ability to speak? How did his brother not notice it? How did his brother not notice <laughs> it? Yeah. But like, from a physical aspect, how did that happen? Um, well, you'll find out in two seconds. Um, so, and when well, they cut it to like, to not show Edward digging him out of the right, sand. Right, right. They just cut to like this big pile of sand and Alphonse standing there in his big suit of armor and Edward panting like he's just exerted all this effort to dig Alphonse out of the sand. But why didn't he just, I don't, I don't know, I yeah. don't know, I don't transmute him out. Yeah. <laughs> like, and there's so many ways that they could have done it that would have been oh, oh, like so many good ways. better. Um, and I think the way that we like thought about a bunch was like if he makes a sand castle and then the moat drops down and Alphonse just walks out. Right. It's not uh, correct for the characters, but it's interesting. And that's uh, yeah, that's the thing, is they, they just cut this I don't even know why this scene is here because they could have done something interesting with it. It's not original to the source material. Yeah. It's a new thing that they've added. And they could have done something with interesting with it and they chose not to, and that's so frustrating. Right. Well and yeah, I don't like the scene at all. Um I know. Uh, we talk. Uh, Alphonse gets out of the sand and he opens up the breastplate on his armor and a bunch of sand falls out. So we know. A bunch of sand. Because how did he make all that sand fall out? More sand that could fit inside the suit of armor if they were a person in there. How did he talk when he was buried? Oh, he's empty. He's a hollow boy. Yep. He's a hollow knight. Can we say that? Yeah. <laughs> Team Cherry, please don't copyright strike us for <laughs> mentioning your video game. We love your video game. Um, it's really good. It's a good game. Uh, but yeah, so we know that Alphonse is hollow immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and I assume that everybody in Japan who was watching this already knew that. Doesn't matter. You're going to get uh, new audience right. members. That's, that's the big you thing. You should approach like, every single piece of media you write as if... Whoever is picking it up has no idea what's going on. Yeah. You often talk about Robert Jordan. Yeah. Or, or we, we look at, at uh, Rick R Riordan and how he writes the Percy Jackson series and how he opens up every single book, basically giving you a summary of events that have become, like, that have come so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that you, you, it doesn't matter where you begin with the media, if you're at the beginning of this of this particular book or if you're at the beginning of this particular show you should be able to just jump into it and enjoy yeah. it you shouldn't come into media with needing prior knowledge right when and, and that even goes for a show like legend of korra like you should not have to watch avatar to watch and fully understand legend of korra right yeah it's uh, it's and any information that i need should be presented in the media itself right uh uh yeah so he gets him out of the sand, and then he he tries to like beat him up for yeah, having he gets, been buried he in the first place. He gets mad at him, and then kicks him. And this is the first thing Chases we see him. Edward do is kick his brother. In the source material, they fight a lot. They're brothers, but they like each other. They love yeah, each they're other. They're not mean to each other. And here we just see Edward being mean. He treats him like a like a dog. <laughs> He does. A sidekick. Mm, that's going to become a theme, I think. Oh, boy. Um, but then Al literally says, like, I don't think anyone would want to be nice to you if you treat them like that. But, yeah. like, it's Ed. Ed. I, oh, man. So many thoughts about Ed this episode. But we'll get there. So our next scene that we get is we get Edward and Alphonse walking into this sort of desert city called Lior. And they're mm -hmm. walking around. They hear the sound of water. And of course, they've been in the desert and Edward is like, oh my gosh, water. And he starts running toward it. And then he collapses against the edge of a fountain that is filled not with water, but with wine. Yeah. And it looks like, like a metal lined fountain. It looks gross. Right. I don't leave wine. Wine goes bad. I, I don't care what you heard. 
wine can go bad. It's not, doesn't take that long. Yeah, it really doesn't. It's really gross to have an open fountain of wine in the middle of your city. Edward then says, oh, this is what I've been smelling all along. Right. Like, we've, like, we've been following him as he's been following this stench. Yeah. So this tells us this wine is stinking up the city, apparently. Right. But it, it's actually a sign of prosperity. Uh, yes, as they, as they later tell. It's like a tell, stinky cheese. Yes, they arrive at this juice bar and the, um, the, 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 Edward tells the man, wow, this must be a real prosperous town you've yeah. got a wine fountain and everything you know with that, that that's my favorite that... part of new york city <laughs> it's the wine fountain <laughs> it's the wine fountain in the middle of it oh my gosh you know that's 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 the mark of every wealthy community is a a wine fountain i wouldn't even have that in my house <laughs> and then so we get we're at this juice bar and the man's asking them who they are and then as they're kind of explaining that they're they're just yeah they're in town they're looking for something there yeah and then the man's like oh excuse me and he flips a switch to turn on a radio and then we get this musical overture and we we timed it okay we timed it because it's 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 really long long. (laughs) it is 21 seconds long and i know that doesn't sound like a long time but in animation 21 seconds is eternal. That is so long. And it's 21 seconds of nothing, of just this ethereal choral music and people turning on radios all over town. Yeah, so everyone in town is turning on their radio to tune into this. But that's not a big deal. Like, you know, we were all alive during Game of Thrones. We all saw everyone tuned in when it was good at the same time every single night. Uh, it seems like a big deal to Edward. And this is also a period of radio dramas. Everyone's listening to the same radio dramas. Yeah. It's not unusual for people to be mass tuning into mass media. Yeah. And it's, I bet it's I bet like I bet streaming's the first thing to kind of filter that out because before then everybody had to watch everything at the same right, time. Right, exactly. So especially at this time because yeah, again, now you can stream. At this time, everyone tuning in at the same time to mass media, especially if, like, it's a small town, very isolated, and you've got maybe one radio station, <laughs> everyone tuning into that at the same time is not unusual. But we get this 21 interlude, introduction to this broadcast, and then we cut to Edward's face, where he's literally making the surprised Pikachu face. He can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and then... It's um, it's an intro to uh to Father Cornello. Yes. Um so it's basically a televangelist broadcast. Um and there's this man named Father Cornello who is a priest for the sun god Leto. But the point is everyone in town listens to this broadcast. Um The boys are kinda like that's something that's interesting. Um and they get ready to go and they stand up, but because Alphonse is this big buff suit of armor he bumps his head on the top of the juice bar and knocks the radio off, and the radio breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the boys are like, no, 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 it's all good, it's all good, we'll fix this right up. Um, Alphonse draws a transmutation circle. Yes, and Edward actually explains to the audience and says, well, he he, he explains to somebody nearby. The, the bartender, that, the juice bar. To the juice bartender, okay. He explains to the juice bartender, it's a transmutation circle. He's drawing a transmutation circle. And then... We get a zoom out on Alphonse performing a transmutation on the transmutation circle. And it subtitles it transmutation circle. Like, you just gave it to me in dialogue or narrative. Please don't treat me like I'm stupid. They really hammer home. They really want you to know it's a transmutation circle. But, like, they already told us it's a transmutation circle. We got, we get it. Yeah, you got to trust your audience to be be paying attention. You have to trust your audience to be smart. Yeah, if if you're not paying attention to the media, then why are you engaging with it in the first place right yeah absolutely um it's not you know it's not friends Uh, (laughs) sued twice in one episode (laughs) uh um so alphonse uh uses alchemy to repair the radio it looks like magic um everybody's kind of like shocked they think that the boys can do miracles like father cornello yeah um but ed says well we're actually kind of famous we're alchemists. Mm-hmm. And so he's, yeah, yeah, he emphasizes we're famous. We're alchemists. And then 
I'm I'm the Full Metal Alchemist. And then there's this beautiful and mysterious stranger who suddenly replaces a middle-aged man who had a beer. Like, there was a <laughs> middle-aged man with a beer on this bar stool. And then in literally the time it takes for Alphonse to transmute the radio, which is not very long, he is replaced by this beautiful and mysterious stranger who is in a cloak and trying to hide her face. And she says, oh, this is the Full Metal Alchemist, Edward Elric. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I hate this. <laughs> if you can't tell from the way I'm introducing it, I because hate this. Because it's obvious that she's like a main character. Right. Otherwise they wouldn't go through all this drama surrounding her appearance of not even just her replacing the man. That's just continuity. But like of just the, the, the hood and her masking yeah. herself. Like that is, that is very intentional. So they've, they've, they've really taken this moment away from Edward because it was this moment of him getting to build himself up as who he is. He's the full metal alchemist. He is our protagonist. He's getting to introduce himself. And instead they've ripped that moment from him being good at doing what he does and given it to this other woman so that Mm. all of our questions are no longer about Edward. They're all about, Oh, who is she? What is she doing here? Like let a beat stand on its own yeah it it was very weird to me that they introduced this character here because i I still feel like we're trying to learn about the the protagonists yeah um she she introduces the the full metal alchemist and everybody thinks that alphonse is the full metal alchemist because he is fully made of metal yes um edward hates that they call him short which he hates even more and he grabs a couple of them and spins them like a dreidel Yes, um, which, great. Uh, which I love. Um, very, very classic Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, happy joke. Hanukkah to everybody listening. Speaking of oh, dreidels. Um, um, but then we are introduced to... Back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> we are All right. introduced to Rosé. Um, and she's she's a sad girl. Yes. Um, she's just very sad. And she's the number one disciple of Father Cornello. Yep. Um, and the people at the bar are like, especially after what happened. Oh, um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. So she. So, but she's like a, a super devotee. Um, it's obvious that he's done some pretty great things for her, and she right. takes the boys to the pilgrims' quarters. Right. Uh, and as they're walking to these pilgrims' quarters, Alphonse brings up the woman at the bar, being like, "Hey, do we know her?" And it's like, eh, "No." And this, okay, this is like really hammering home earlier because not only have they now taken away this moment from Edward to introduce himself, but also Edward's entire point in that was. We're kind of famous. But now what they've done is imply that because this other woman knew who they were, which she should have done if they were famous, but that's apparently an oddity that someone would just know who they are, which yeah. means they're not that famous. And now I don't trust Edward anymore. Yeah. I don't trust him when he says he's famous. Because the only person who knows who they are is this woman who's obviously a main character. Right. Also, they're like, we know her, right? We like, must have known her because she knows us. Right, right. We're not that famous. Like, shut up. Let a beat stand <laughs> on its own. Um, uh, that's where we get our commercial break. Um, and when we come back in, we, we meet Father Cornella for the first time. He's giving uh, a service. He's a very creepy guy who wears a very uh, large red jewel on a ring um, the boys have learned that Rose had a fiance whose name mm-hmm. was Kane, mm-hmm. and he died uh, in a tragic accident, right? I don't know if he died in a tragic accident or if he died of TB or something. I don't know. He's dead. TB. It's tis, tis the period, okay? okay all right. Uh, Spanish flu. If I don't said, know yeah, what happened. From, from Spain. <laughs> um, Coronavirus. Uh, Father Coronavirus, Father Cornello, <laughs> Father Cornello uh, keeps telling Rosé that he can bring Cain back to life, yes. but he tells her that it's not time yet. Um, yes. It's not part of, it's not in Leto's plan. Right. Uh, so he's, he's very much removing the onus from himself, which is great. This is a great way to build up if you're going to have a cult leader yeah. who, who's absolutely a fraud. Build him up like this. Just just kind of like, I could do that. Yeah. But I won't because God doesn't want me to. Like, that's how you play it. Yeah. This is, that's actually very well done. I, I enjoy that. And this really ticks Edward off because, like, he knows that you can't bring people back to life with alchemy. And he yeah, believes that what Father Cornell is doing is just alchemy. Um, right. And then uh, <laughs> we get this really weird moment of Edward and Alphonse sitting in the in their pilgrim's quarters 
And Edward's like, oh, that must be where her dead fiance's lying, blah, blah, blah. And then Alphonse goes on a spiel about how the dead appear to come back since there are immortal souls and they can make a body. And then Ed is just like, okay, that's weird, and dismisses it. And I, I really don't get this beat because I don't know if Alphonse is trying to communicate what the cult believes or what he believes, which can't be what he believes because... I, yeah, every, I don't, every time we watched this episode, I was like, what are you talking this, about? This, this what does that just mean? really confused. I don't, I don't get what they're going for here. Mostly, I, I don't get what, this narr- what the narrative purpose of that exchange yeah, is. I, I hope it's just, <laughs> I hope it's just a bad translation. Because, like, the, 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 whatever he says really doesn't make any sense at all. Right. I don't think. Um, right, right, right. From that scene, uh, I assume it's the next day because that kind of looks like sundown, um, mm-hmm. but we are at a miracle performance of Father Cornello's. So we see him turn water into wine. We see him take a uh, a block of wood and turn it into a statue of Leto. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edward and Alphonse are watching and they're like, that's just alchemy. Um, they say that he's using a philosopher's stone mm-hmm. to... Uh, break some of the rules of alchemy. So he's breaking the law of equivalent exchange. Um, Rosé is also there, and they're kind of talking to her and being like, these aren't miracles. He is breaking some of the rules of alchemy, but it's just alchemy. Right. And so the Philosopher's Stone, if you don't remember, is an artificial material that's extremely powerful. It basically acts as an alchemical amplifier, which allows you to kind of skirt some of the laws, such as the law of equivalent exchange, but what it can't do is bring people back to life. It cannot circumvent the laws about human transmutation. And by laws, we don't mean the, the actual legality laws. We mean the natural laws. Um, yeah. But yeah, so wow. he's using this philosopher's stone. And we see him, though. This is the grand finale. In this, in this moment, this little girl brings a bird that that she has in her possession, a dead bird that's hers. And she I, brings I assume. It, I assume. We assume it's hers. And she brings it to Father Cornello. And he holds his hand over it. And then the ring flashes. And the little bird's eyes open up. And they're red. So there's like something wrong with it. But it definitely comes back to life. Yeah, it's, and it's a sinister beat. flies beep. around. It's a sinister beat. But it's it definitely imbues it with uh, some manner of life. After this, Father Cornello uh, tells one of his underlings that Edward and Alphonse are threats. And to he get says, rid of them? Yes. He says Edward is a state alchemist and a dog of the military. Um, and we learn that apparently he learned this information from that same mysterious hooded woman at the bar. Yes, which... Um, um, so more questions about her. Right, which is really muddying, just muddying up this episode. Um, which should be about building up our protagonist. It's it's we're building. We should be focusing on our protagonist goals, what he wants, what he is doing, what our central dramatic question is for this entire narrative. Yeah. And instead, we're kind of muddying up, or we're focusing on the mystery of the antagonist more than we are the mystery of our protagonist. Uh, and that's that's quite quite frustrating. Yeah, because right now, really, all we know about the boys is that they're looking for something. Uh, I think we know at this point that it's the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but the much more compelling question is, who is this woman who appears to be following them and appears to be turning people against them? Right. Um, and who knows who they are because they're not that famous, like they said right, they are. Right, I forgot. <laughs> um, so from that scene, we go into a little chapel in the church uh, where Rosé is... Um, I, I can never tell if she's, like, cleaning or praying. I think she's praying. Okay, she's praying. Um, and Edward's there, and he's kind of like, you're going to pray to God to bring someone back to life? Like, mm-hmm. if you should pray to anybody, you should pray to an alchemist, because we're the closest things to God that, you, that you're going to get. My gosh. Um, and then... She doesn't like that, obviously. Yeah, she, she hates that. Um, and, of course, we get this the I- iconic scene um, in Full Metal Alchemist happens in every single adaptation in which Edward rattles off the components used to create a human body um, and then makes the point that you can you can just buy the materials to make a person. People yeah. people are cheap. Souls are not. Um, and so then we get this moment of Alphonse nearby creeping 
off in a little alcove and he's he's listening and then one of father cornello's agents sneaks up behind him with a gun and shoots his helmet off which then clatters into the chapel and so, it, it appears yeah, so like edward his head and, has been shot off yeah edward and rose are like oh my god alphonse shot but here's the thing we already know from this opening scene in the desert that Alphonse doesn't have a people inside of him, which means that he's, he, he, we know he's hollow, which means that I'm not scared for him. They've lowered there by adding this useless scene at the beginning that really didn't do anything except make me think that Edward's a jerk. Like they lowered their own stakes but they still do the reveal they that do he's the, hollow here. Yeah, they do the reveal like we're supposed to be scared of it. Yeah, because like or, Rose and the the underling, they they see it and they freak out and they explain that Alphonse is hollow, which they could have used that as the opportunity to tell the reader or the the watcher that he's hollow. Yeah. Like why? Why give it? Why give up the game early? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. And then Edward and Alphonse beat up Father Cornella's agent, yep. and it's not even a contest. Um, it's easy. Yes. Alphonse reattaches his helmet and calls his current state punishment for encroaching on God's territory. And Rosé has a very understandable reaction to seeing a, a hollow suit of armor walking and talking. Uh, she bolts. Yes, she's out of there. She's out of there. and oh, she, She's going to go get Father Cornello. Right. She runs. To go try to find Father Cronella. Um <laughs> We're then teleported into the oh basement. Gosh. Okay, yeah. All right. So, Rosé's running down this long hallway, right? She's running. And it's honestly this really long, shallow staircase. And so she's running down this really long, shallow staircase. And then we are instantaneously teleported to inside of a completely different room, focusing on Edward and Alphonse. And... I, I'd honestly believe this time skip more if we got a cut of them outside and then opening the door. But instead, we're just teleported, open door, they're already inside. And then Edward says, and a line that just infuriates me to no end. He says, no one told us about this place. You know, like when they had their ex- yeah. their, their, their comprehensive tour of yeah. this church no one no one told them about this specific room when yeah. they were getting their tour i i okay thanks but like then how did you get there how did you get to this room if nobody told you about it why did you get to this room right. if nobody told you but about I'll... it why are we here how are we here what is here no one told you about this room so what are you doing in this room I don't understand. Did they follow Rosé? We don't get an explanation of that. Yeah. They don't mention well, it. She, they don't show it. I don't it know. It definitely looks like she came into the room another way. But, right. But also on the note of like, nobody told us about this room. Like when I go to the YMCA, they don't show me the boiler room. <laughs> it's not relevant to what I'm doing there. Right. So I don't expect them to show me every room of the building. Yeah, exactly. But then we we get into this room and we see Rosé standing. She's just chilling um, on a balcony and like waiting for Edward and Alphonse to come to this room that nobody ever told them about. And then we get Father Cornello coming out <laughs> and he says, oh, I thought you'd show up sooner or later. And then he thanks Rosé for bringing them to this place that nobody ever told them about. So I don't think she did bring them there because yeah. that contradicts with our earlier statement. But also, Father Cornella coming in and being like, I thought you'd show up sooner or later. Why? Why? Nobody <laughs> told them about this place. Yeah. Okay, nobody told them. And so if he was waiting <laughs> there for sooner or later, how how long were they going to wait there? Yeah. I mean, were they just going to stand there until sooner or later happened? What if it was much, much later? Would they have just rotted on this balcony waiting for Edward and Alphonse to show up in a room that nobody told them about? I. It's so bad. It's just, it's bad writing. It is yeah. horrible. I'm it's, so mad about it. It's really, really odd. It. I'm so mad about it. But we do see what this room is. It's got a stone floor and there are graves in it. Um, it's it's very obviously a crypt, um, which is an apt place to wait if you are waiting for two boys to wander into the crypt that no one told them about. Maybe he's just expecting like boys to be boys and expecting them to look in every single room of the this church. My gosh. Maybe. 
But like, oh. goodness gracious, how many rooms are there? How exactly. long could that have taken? Exactly. This could be days later. There's I know. No they could have just tell. been sitting there like surviving on grain rations. Um, eating the rats on the floor. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> so Edward confronts Father Cornello because he's a swindler using a philosopher's stone to trick the people who live in Lior, and he demands that Father Cornello give him the philosopher's stone. Mm -hmm. To which Father Cornello says, like, if you take the philosopher's stone, you're going to hurt these people. And he talks about all the good things that he's used the philosopher's stone Mm -hmm. to do for the people of Lior. He also says that he doesn't think that the military would approve of Edward taking it away. To which Edward says he doesn't give a shit about mm-hmm. the military. Which is kind of different from what Father Cornello thought, because Father Cornello thought he was a dog of the military. Right. Um, so this is a new thing we learn about Edward. And we're not yes. we're not sure exactly how to feel about this, because obviously Father Cornello yeah, is Yeah, I don't evil trust him to be a good and person. Is, and is against the military himself. So Edward is also against the military. And we just don't have enough context to this to really be like... But whose side are we? Are there two sides? Three sides? Are there 12 sides? I'm not, I don't know from this how, which side I'm supposed to be on. If I'm supposed to love or hate the military yet. Yeah, the only reason we would know that we're supposed to be on the boys' side, I guess, is because they're the main characters. They're the main characters. They're the main shonen characters. Yeah, but we, like, the first thing we see them do is break the law and create a monster. So. And the first thing that we see them do when they're grown up is Edward kick his brother yeah so you know i mean he deserved it (laughs) yeah (laughs) he almost died in sand so edward says that he and alphonse need the philosopher's stone but rose doesn't want them to take it um Mm -hmm. she's kind of weak she's always very weak though she's i mean she's she's not as in her characterization as weak but her character is weak willed and that's okay Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um Father Cornelius says that he's going to fight Edward and show him the power of the Philosopher's Stone. So he turns the floor to sand and he does kind of like an earthquake ripple that, right. se- that pushes the two boys away from each other. Right. And and I I do have questions about this. Like, we're in a crypt. So what happened to the graves? What happened to the human remains? Um, Are those all sand too? Because that's abominable to just go in and destroy... Grave sites that people are intentionally interred in. Right. People are mostly carbon, so you could turn them to diamonds instead of sand. Sand has a very low percentage of carbon, actually. It is mostly silica. So they're just ash in the sand. They're just nothing, I guess. Um, I don't know what's going on here. But um, he explains that he has done this in order to prevent Edward from drawing a transmutation circle. Personally, I'm not exactly sure how this is supposed to be that effective. He could he could still draw a transmutation circle in the sand, but exactly. maybe, but Father Cornell could like whip it away. Uh, but luckily for Edward, uh, we learn momentarily that he can transmute without a circle because Father Cornello opens the gate and he reveals a the gate. A, a gate. I don't know, dude. How many gates could be in this crypt? Uh, he, it, but he opens like a coliseum style gate and this lion comes out a lion the who, back half of a lizard right and uh they identify it as a chimera which has been made with the philosopher's stone mm-hmm. uh, but why though why yeah because can okay um, um and so but Ed- 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 yeah edward makes a staff and he does it without a transmutation circle and father cornell is like whoa you're not supposed to be able to do that without a transmutation circle right that is that is supposed to be according to laws of alchemy like, like natural laws of alchemy, impossible. Um, but they have a fight, and Edward fends off the lion for a moment. And then that little bird <laughs> that the girl brought to Father Cornello and the miracles, sh- it's been on his shoulder the entire time. It's been there the whole time. So I don't know if, like, during this miracle ceremony, what happened? Did Father Cornello, like, get one of his guards to go through the crowd <laughs> and find a little girl and be like, hey, hey, you want to be part of the show, kid? Yeah. And give her a dead bird? Yeah. And say, like, at the very end, bring it up? I assumed, did, it, I assumed it was her bird, but now I'm not so sure. did he bring it back to life and just go, it's mine now? <laughs> like, this can be your offering as thanks for no, bringing I, your pet back. I definitely like <laughs> the image more of his underling, like, weaving through the crowd and, like, tapping this little girl and being like, hey, do you want to get on stage with Father Cornello? Just take this bird. And he, he passes her this dead bird out of his pocket. Because <laughs> if you were her mom, what would you do? <laughs> well, my daughter's going to be up on stage with Father Cornello. Of oh, so course she can hold the dead bird. dead bird. What are you talking about? 
It'll be fine. He can just heal her. Um, um, but anyway. The bird is here, though. The bird the is here, and it's on his shoulder. And then he, like, releases it to go fly and activates the Philosopher's Stone again. And this bird undergoes a Pokemon evolution midair in which it grows, like, 20 to 40 times its size. It's crazy. It's very weird. It's yes. It's very weird. Um, <laughs> so Edward fights these two Chimera. The music is not very exciting or good right um, it's, um, it's serviceable i guess um but like alphonse is also there right and he's, yeah, he's doing, doing nothing. nothing he's just chilling um, um which the, is fine it can be easily just alphonse knew ever could take it it's just back there filing his nails but you know <laughs> I, I guess um just waiting to leave checking yeah. the time uh, but the fight goes on for a bit. Um, Edward's doing pretty good. Uh, but the lion gets the upper hand on him, it seems, at one time. And he kind of crunches onto uh, Edward's arm. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's snap. about to just maul his arm. But Edward's just completely unperturbed by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a shot of the woman from the bar. And she's spider man up in a corner in the ceiling. Yeah, so every named character so far is in this room. Yes. Um, she's <laughs> spider man up in a corner, and there's this big, round, goofy-looking guy, and she calls him Gluttony, and they're both there. And then it's just, again, they've... they've they're, they're watching They're watching the fight. They're overplaying their villains here, though. They're, they're, they're playing them so much. We are really wanting to be focusing on our protagonist right now and on what he is doing. And cutting it in with this, when it's not serving to raise any questions about our protagonist, they're really only building questions about their antagonist right now. Yeah. And it's, it's also frustrating because I've seen her so often... And I know Gluttony's name, and I've seen him for two cumulative seconds. Right. I want her name. Well, What's her name? Well, you don't get it this episode. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, we do know her name, but it, we, yeah. we don't know it right now. We don't know it in the episode. Um, so, back to the fight. Edward's got this lion biting his arm, um, and he kind of shakes this lion off, and we learn that his arm is all metal. It's an auto-male arm yes. that we talked about at the beginning. And it is a beautifully animated sequence where Edward pulls off this ripped cloak, and it, it flutters down like a curtain. And over it, we and on, from a, um, on top of this curtain that's fluttering down, we see this beautifully animated mono-male arm. It is glinting, and it's so complex, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like, grafted Onto yeah, his it is arm quite, stump. Like yes, it is. It is literally bolted into his into his shoulder, um, into the actual bones. Yeah, that it doesn't look hold super up comfortable. No, it does not look comfortable at all. So it is in its own right, uh, kind of horrific, but it is still beautifully animated. Beautiful shot, and then we see that for about a second and a half, and then it immediately cuts away. Yeah, it immediately cuts away to the shot of Alphonse in which he doesn't say or do anything. Right. And then the next and thing And the shot happens, of Alphonse is longer than the shot of the auto male arm. Right. So then and the next thing that happens is a shot of Rose and Edward talking. Right. So I think they were just worried that we would forget that Alphonse was in the room. I think so. Be- because and they could have just held it on Edward and given him those few more seconds for that reveal. So I know we talked about how we weren't gonna go into the manga, but one thing about the manga is that this is like the first splash page yeah, that double, you get. Double splash, double splash page. page that you get. And it is beautiful. And because it is a book, you have as long as you need mm-hmm. to sit there and take in that moment. But if you want to sit there and take in that moment, if you can't pause your TV or pause the episode, you're shit out of luck. Because they don't give you any time to take it in. They're just yeah. like, he's got a metal arm, moving on. And yeah. it's very I, I, frustrating. I think it's another thing where the, and and I don't have any evidence for this, but I think it's another instance where the animation studio just assumed that everybody knew this thing about him. Yes. And that, again, you should never come into your media assuming that everyone knows everything about your media. You should never assume that anyone knows anything. Yes. I think. Um, Assume uh, everybody's a baby. Yes. Um, Um, So Rose sees this prosthetic arm and she is stunned. 
Oh, she's yeah. She's terrified. She's, she's like, scared of it. She's scared of it. She's, like, trembling and yeah. shaking. And, and like, it's <laughs> yeah. near the level that she was shaking when she saw Alphonse without a body, which that one's understandable. But this time it's like, oh, no, a person with a disability. Right, and they're using a device to mitigate it. Yeah, because it's not, like, auto mail is not weird. Like, they, they like, uh... The town they grew up in, which is this tiny little farm town, there is an automail mechanic who lives there, and there is a dog with an automail arm. Yeah, it's it's commonplace. It's not something that you look at and just get horrified by. Dogs have it. Kids have it. Yeah. Grown-ups have it. It's it's a normal thing to happen. And the fact that she is so, so shocked is like, again, they're really playing up the body horror angle yeah, of but it's like- having... A disability, and that is in itself quite upsetting. I, I like it's also nobody show this girl a wheelchair, yeah, um, <laughs> or, or a hearing aid, or a seeing eye dog. Or... Oh my gosh, she might lose it. Um, but yes, it's 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 such a bizarre moment. Yeah, yeah. And then we get to the end credits, which I did not like at all. Um, they were very like bouncy, jangly music that, and the show is so like, we'll and we'll talk in a second about differences between the show and the manga. Uh, but like, it's so dark, and this song just doesn't match it whatsoever. Um, there's also a couple just parts of the animation Beautiful. sequence that I thought were confusing. Beautiful moments. Um, there's one that's just marvelous. Um, in which we get a shot of Roy Mustang, who we saw in our cold open, and he is walking with. A few other people, not his entire trusted team that we will mm-hmm. meet later. There are three other members of his team there. And then there's two other people that he knows well and trusts, but aren't necessarily his subordinates. And then there are two complete randos there. Yeah. And they are walking. And they're not walking very far, but they are walking very fast. Yes. And <laughs> as a result... It looks like they are shimmying. They, they are the shimmying. I, don't, I, I, I reject your statement of it looks like they're shimmying. When they definitely so they are. are doing the Stang Gang shimmy. And I, I, I don't, I hate this because Mustang's gang is not whoever happens to be close by. You know, it's who he trusts. So this idea that he would do the Stang Gang <laughs> shimmy <laughs> with two randos. Is completely no way, absolutely no. I, I reject not at that. all. I reject that he would do the Stang Gang shimmy with two random schlubs. <laughs> also, he's wearing a different coat than he was in the cold open. Oh, it doesn't um, have that sick hat attached to it. It doesn't have that sick that sick hat. Uh, and this is just such a minor pet peeve, but like. He's wearing a different coat. So if he showed up to Risenville in his uniform, then he's in a standard issue coat. And the thing about military uniforms is they don't change often because you need to be able to give them back, issue them to the next poor person who signed up. You got to you, you just got to keep rotating them so the military doesn't have to spend much money getting every single soldier a brand new uniform every 2 years when that one goes out of vogue. Like they have to keep them consistent. They're meant to be timeless last several generations, so you don't have to be ordering new shit. So I don't understand why he's in a new coat here. I I don't understand. I know that that's so nitpicky, but there I am. But if they're standard issue, then that means that everybody in the military has one of those hats, right? (sighs) Oh my god. The only other thought that I had about the the ending credits, um, other than like the hills, no. But I do I do feel like the first few arcs of. Full metal do take place in kind of more mountainous type areas. Definitely in a desert. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, 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 we'll see what happens. Um, it's weird. It's not exactly imagery that like screams Full Metal Alchemist to me. Yeah. Um, and the other thing they do is, and this is I see this all the time in anime, is they they have this like shot of Winry, and she's like, oh, she's just waking up, and she's feeling a little sexy, and her shirt's like falling off her her shoulder. Um. I don't like it. Stop doing it. Stop it. She's a teenager. Please. Uh, and she's not like a sexy like girl in the in the story. She's very like self-aware and self-possessed. She, Wait, she's, she's in she charge is, of her. She is very attractive, but she's not sexualized. Yeah. She's yeah, not yeah. she's not meant to be. Like she does wear 
crop tops underneath her mechanic over coveralls because that's it's probably gets real hot in there and like she does wear shorter very youthful things but it's not to sexualize her it's literally because she just she's here she's self-possessed she knows who she is yeah yeah it's it's, it's not, weird it's to see her like it's weird to see her in this sense that does feel very like male gazy yes um but that is the end of the first episode mm, mm-hmm. um so if you are a new viewer and you're just tuning in for this how are you how are you feeling about the show overall what are your kind of expectations for it um overall it's okay it hits all the main plot points mm-hmm. um they've made though a lot of changes that don't necessarily make any sense I agree. or add really anything to this initial arc either they they don't serve any narrative purpose or they don't make sense and there may be some things they've done that don't make sense now but i don't see why they couldn't have delayed it until a second episode and just let us build up our protagonist by himself yeah i really would have preferred an episode that focused on the brothers and like even the extra scene that they gave them to be brothers in a vacuum i guess uh yeah the opening scene in the desert it doesn't the the manga starts at the juice bar so everything with that wine fountain and everything with uh, Edward getting Alphonse out of the sand doesn't happen. And it doesn't need to. It's not, it doesn't do anything for me other than ruin the reveal that Alphonse is hollow. Yep. And give me a couple instances of Edward being a, jerk. a, a butthole. And that's kind of a big takeaway from this is that if he's you want... He's not nice to anybody. He's not he's nice mean to anybody. He's mean to He's not likable at all. And like, in the manga, Edward's not the nicest person in the world, but he's not mean he's right. he's and we do get a moment where before they go to confront father cornello they actually take rose with them and convince her to come with them she doesn't run away in the manga uh she comes with them and what we see is edward saying rose are you willing to face the truth and he's not exactly nice about it but it is a moment where we get edward attempting to love a stranger and show yeah. kindness and empathy toward a stranger and that's so important when establishing your protagonist the way to get your audience to sympathize with your protagonist any writers out there make them do something nice for somebody else that is all it takes yeah. and we don't get that once in this I episode mean, the, the funny thing is, is that's that's literally all it takes yeah. is one instance of someone doing something nice for someone else yeah um just show them just show that he's worthy of your empathy and sympathy and, and well, then and that, we'll give it, but the, we don't get it. The transition from them in the chapel uh, after Alphonse gets attacked to the basement like crypt happens because they ask Rosé if she's ready to kind of like learn the truth about Father right. Canelo. And, so and she it's guides them there. to the yes. basement. Yes. So we don't have to have this no one told us about this room thing. If they had just kept it that, like kept that angle and moved forward with what was already written for them instead of coming up with something that I believe they're trying to make needlessly complex, which really just detracts from logic. If they had just kept to the simple, straightforward storyline, we would have had a likable protagonist. We would have had an introduction to this confrontation scene that would have made sense and would have been easy to follow. And we, we'd actually be returning to the second episode, not because we're curious about who our antagonists are, but because we love who our protagonist is. Yeah. And that's a big thing, is they're really relying on the antagonist to pull us back for episode two, when what they should be doing is building up their protagonist to... To, to make us come back. There, there's some easy fixes to this. One... <laughs> just do what they wrote. Just do what they wrote. Two, don't spend so long with that overture to Fowler Cornell's televangelism cast, cut out of 21 seconds, cut 11 of them off, just 11, and use those 11 seconds to have Edward do something nice for another person. But honestly, if the intro to Father Cornell's broadcast was even 10 seconds long, I'd still think it was too long because you do not need that much time to establish something. Oh, sure. But like... It's 21 seconds long, and they could easily have sliced it in half. They could have sliced it by 75%, and yeah. then we could have had a lot more of Edward being nice to... It doesn't even have to be to a stranger, well, to his own brother. It's funny. I've always uh, I've always been curious why uh, Hiromu Arakawa 
doesn't have Edward fix the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I get it because that seems more about introducing the concept of alchemy. Right. And, and since Edward doesn't need a transmutation circle, it's not a good place for him to do it. And she doesn't want to give away her game yet. And that's yeah. the thing is that they give away their games so yes. early. And they, they Alphonse... Even with the introduction of the villains. Yeah, even with the introduction of the villains, they give away all their games so early. And Arakawa definitely paces out when she gives you things. She get, she waits to let Edward show what he can do. She waits to give you her villains. She waits to show you that Alphonse is hollow. She does a lot of things that allow you to build up your anticipation. So when she does her reveal, they really hit and they really yeah. land. Yeah. they Well, and... She has so many like little and big reveals just in that first chapter yeah. that are paced out and spaced out. And here it's like you're getting big, you're getting reveals in a much weirder way. Like I'm not saying they don't happen, but there's there's questions along with the reveals that, kind of, that just muddy it, I think was the word what you used earlier. What it makes me feel like is they took every single panel from chapters one and two and they put each panel on a card and then they tossed them all up in the air and played 52 pickup with them. And then they went outside of the pre-production room and grabbed the sleepiest, hungriest <laughs> intern they could find and said, all right, without having read either chapter one or chapter two, put these in order. And then that's what they used to write their story. Yikes. Um, so based on this episode, are you tuning in next week? I, well, we've made a commitment. All right. I guess you're right. Uh, <laughs> But on its own merit, do you think you would watch episode two? Oh, it's really hard. Um, and remember, the show is like the talk of the town, I assume. Because this is the most one of the most popular series going on at the moment. You know what? I assume I am. But they have to answer a lot of things next episode. They have to answer, what, are, what do our boys want? Yeah, because right now all we know is that they're looking for something. All we know is they want the Philosopher's Stone. We don't know why. We don't know what our central dramatic question is. We we might be able to glean that they want to bring their mom back because we know that they started failing right. in doing that. And we know the Philosopher's Stone allows people to break some of the laws. But we've also seen them repeatedly say, like, not even a Philosopher's Stone is going to make someone come back to life. Exactly. Though apparently it can make a bird come back to life. Um, True. And, and Or at least imbue it with life in Pokeball. Thank you. Um, but they have to tell us what their motivations are. We we have to get... Um, they have to give us Edward being nice to somebody. They have to let us uh, adapt to and like our protagonist for his own merits. Mm-hmm. And establish a reason for me to come back that is not just figuring out what our antagonists want. Yeah. Yeah, because the biggest mystery right now is who's that mysterious woman at the bar who's operating in the shadows against these boys right Um, because because the thing that i think they're missing and muddying is that an antagonist should not drive a plot the protagonist is the person who drives the plot the antagonist is the person who stands in the protagonist's way yeah so if you're making your entire show about the antagonist you're making your antagonist your protagonist yeah i would agree with that um because they're the person who's making things happen exactly um I'm a little worried about Alphonse, mm-hmm. because as you know, he is my favorite character yeah. in Full Metal Alchemist, oh, yeah. and he doesn't do anything. He get, And he literally gets pushed off to the side. Yeah. Um, so I'm real nervous, because I feel like he's becoming more of a sidekick than a, than a separate character, which, like, he, the disagreements that he has with Edward about uh, how they're going about things and about just all kinds of shit, uh, mm-hmm. that's interesting meaty content right and if they don't trust him to be his own character then those beats aren't going to have the same rewards i agree all right guys well thank you for tuning in this week if you have any questions or comments for us you can send those to us at diane and langdon at gmail.com or diane and langdon.tumblr.com we will see you next week when we review episode two the body of the sanctioned